What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we're going to start today's episode off with some Sabres news, as Lance Lysowski of the Buffalo News reported that Victor Olofsson and his camp are expecting a trade from the Buffalo Sabres. This comes after a couple years' worth of speculation about where Olofsson really fits on this team moving forward, in the short and long term for that matter. And now this all but confirms that Victor Olofsson will not be wearing a Sabres sweater next year. It's been a very puzzling couple of years for Victor Olofsson here, where it's been defined by his inconsistency in scoring some very very spotty five on five play and ultimately just not getting the job done as much as needed there's been spurts where he's looked really good and he's looked like a competent middle six to top six winger with some good finishing ability and there's other times when he's out on the ice and just looks lost out there and isn't able to keep up with the pace of play so Taylor, not necessarily a surprising move. You and I both have been saying pretty much throughout the entirety of this season that Olafson really is not a part of the plans moving forward. We'd be shocked if he was. We even had talked about back at the trade deadline, the potential of what if you moved him then to see what kind of value he would have given his scoring touch through the first part of the year. Obviously, that tapered off quite a bit in the second half of the season here. But ultimately, this is going to open up another spot in the top nine that will seemingly be taken over, if not by an external addition, then by one of the young guys in Rochester, perhaps in the form of Yuri Kulik, Matt Savoy, or Isaac Rosin. So give me your thoughts on the Sabres seemingly planning to move on from Victor Olofsson. Well, it's apparent that the Sabres are about to lose out on a huge, hugely valuable goal song. But really, at this point, it's basically that and some power play skill. Aside from that, like, unfortunately, Olofsson, despite a little bit in the midseason, uh, having kind of a hot streak at even strength for really the first time in his career, uh, that totally uh, went by the wayside in the second half of the season. And in fact, his power play scoring even slowed down to the point where when it once looked like he could score 40 and he was definitely going to score 30, he didn't do either. And if I'm not mistaken, he was pretty close to like 100th in the league in goals and 200th in points. Uh, So unfortunately, uh, with scoring going up, the numbers that he was putting up were just not as impressive. And he, he, there leaves a lot to be desired, both as a playmaker, as a play driver, and as a guy uh, playing in his own zone. He just really doesn't have any of that. He just, when he wasn't playing with someone like Eichel years ago at even strength, he wasn't a particularly useful guy and it's you can you can have a career being a guy in the power play but maybe not for an organization that has so many young guys and so many forward pieces already and two not not when they're going to have to commit to you uh at some point so i just we've said it for a while now it just makes the most sense to trade him he he's the number one candidate for it and mm-hmm. uh this kind of confirms that and ultimately, it's going to come down to what you think you can get for him. What if you could trade Olafson and the Philly pick, for example, and you can move up into like the late 20s or the mid 20s to be able to get a second first round pick this year? I think that's a very interesting possibility there. I mean, I don't think, you know, nobody's going to sit here and say that Olafson's going to command a, a big haul back, but I think that. There's enough there. There's the power play reputation. His shot, obviously, is one of the better shots in the NHL. And when he's on with it, he is just firing away and on all cylinders. And there's value to that. I think the other thing that's interesting about Olsen too, is when you think back, you know, you don't need every single guy among your forward group to be a play driver. You don't need every guy to have this perfectly rounded 200 foot game. Like look at Jeff Skinner, for example, he doesn't, I think he has, Defense, his defensive skills are maybe a little bit underrated, but that's not what he's known for. Jeff Skinner is a finisher. He is a five on fives goal scorer. With Olofsson, and thinking about this since this report came out, and really just in general, over these past handful of seasons here, I mean, aside from when he was with Jack, the conversation around him has kind of been based on this idea that he needs to have another player on his line so that the line doesn't completely crater in in the form of a a defensive specialist. I mean, for a while it was Rasmus Asplund and it was like, well, you know, Olofsson and Asplund together, like that makes a lot of sense. Like Asplund makes Olofsson better and it helps cover for some of his defensive deficiencies. Then you move on from Asplund. And I know that there were spurts this season where it was like, well, Tyson Jost and Olofsson like work well together because Jost is a good defensive player. And again, you don't need every guy to be like that, but it always felt like with Olofsson, he was never really able to stand on his own, not even necessarily as a play driver so much as just being able to be a consistent and competent 
middle six forward at five on five. Absolutely. I also wanted to clarify real quick, because I looked it up when you were talking. He's actually tied for 56th in goals, not out of the top 100, but uh, he was uh, 191st in points and tied for 415th in assists. So, you know, not great numbers for a guy that plays the power play a ton and isn't um, strong in his own zone. And I agree with what you said there. It seemed like they're always searching for a guy ever since uh, Eichel went down a few years ago to just be like, oh, who can make Victor Olofsson not useless at even strength? Right. It is tough. And it, it seemed like even uh, there was a while that it was a Joe Smittlestad Olofsson line, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when Joe's first got claimed. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like, oh, man, Joe's is really carrying both these guys. And now it kind of seems like Olsen was almost holding Middlestat back even a little bit, uh, playing with him. And Middlestat really played better at even strength when he got away from Olafson. And, and uh, yeah, it's unfortunate because I like I liked him a lot when he first got here, Olafson, and I have no real problem with him as a guy. But it was cool, like three, four years ago now. Geez, four years ago it came up, and he was like, "Wow, we have a real NHL player who we drafted outside of the first round." In the seventh round, no less. He was a seventh rounder. They hadn't had a second rounder in years, so it was so cool to have like, "Oh, we we drafted this guy. He's not useless, and he was a power play killer." You know, his his first six goals were all in the power play, and they're all in the first few weeks. But I think it was clear by the end of his first year, which was that year that COVID happened, things got shut down, the Sabres missed the bubble. It was clear that. by the end of that, that he was not any kind of elite score overall. He was, but his shot is unbelievable. Uh, I mean, if he didn't have that kind of shot, he never would have been in the NHL. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot else there to say besides the shot. So he's useful to someone though. I know he said a lot of bad things about him, but like I mentioned there, he's tied for 56th in goals in the league. He had 28 goals. And I know like only seven or six of those were in the second half of the year. And a lot of them were on the power play, but that's not nothing. That'll get you something. It just, I think if they had traded him uh, in the middle of last season, you would have got a lot more for him. I don't disagree with that at all. No, I, I'm I'm completely with you there. And again, it's going to be interesting to see how they're really going to be able to move or maneuver a deal like this. There is some team out there where Olsen fits a profile for what they need. You know, like you said, yes, we have been saying some negative things here, whether you want to say it's his five on five play, his skating, whatever. But teams need pure goal scorers. When we had first gotten Olafson, when he had first kind of come into the mix, that's what we thought we were getting. It's just like, all right, well, we have Jack and we have Sam and we have all of these other guys in our forward group. Not all of these other guys, but we have a couple of other guys in our forward group that have a little bit more well-rounded games. It's okay for us to have a guy who can just be relied upon to score and just do that. But he just was not really able to do that as consistently as we would have really liked him to. So I think that this is the first of what will hopefully be a couple of other dominoes to fall among the forward group this coming off season, because there is a bit of a log jam there still, as we've been talking about, as we'll continue to talk about, because I do think in that bottom six, I think that another move is going to have to happen. And I got to be honest when I'm thinking about like, okay, would I rather see Tyson Jost walk or would I rather see them move Jordan Greenway? Or would I rather see them move middle stat or whoever? I just think that there's some obvious answers there that are going to probably, unfortunately, be compounded with some tough decisions having to be made, specifically in the case of Greenway. Where does he fit? Is middle stat a part of their long-term plans too? I think he played well enough last year that he earned the right to get a little bit of rope here. But at the same time, is this the best his value is ever going to be? And because of that, is it maybe worth trying to capitalize on that and move on given what you know is going to be coming up in terms of the previously mentioned three soon-to-be rookies um, in the form of Rosine, Savoy, and Kulik? So again, I, I just I feel like this is a, a good step in the right direction. I trust the front office to do the right thing here. But I think that this is also hopefully a sign that this is the first of maybe one or two more moves to address what's going on in the forward group right now, specifically in that bottom six. Yeah. Just, just hearing you mention all those guys, that is a ton of guys. You said bottom six, but that's more than six fellas. There's a lot of fellas down there. Yep. I mean, they, it seems like they want to bring back Jost. They like Jost. I don't think they picked him up for no reason. And they're enticed by his draft pedigree. And he was good. He was, he was useful when he was around it's not like they're going to get rid of Jordan Greenway after they just traded a second for him. And it's not like they're going to get rid of Middlestad after the second half of the season he just had. So the more that I think about it, this is kind of not what we were talking about. 
but I kind of do see a path for Savoy to be in the WHL again next year. Which, which wouldn't, wouldn't be the be worst a, thing in the world. Like, yeah, it wouldn't it, be, it, but it's also not ideal. It's not, but it's, un, I don't know. It's just so tough because of, of all of these scenarios that we're talking about here when it comes to specifically, like, let's just call it Jost, Greenway, Middlestat. We'll throw Krebs into the mix too there. All of the options with the exception of Greenway make sense to keep these guys around. Like with Jost, it's based on his play. With Middlestat, it's based on his play. Krebs, him moving up into the lineup, like we've been saying with him being in a third-line role, it's based on the play. Greenway, it's based on what your cost that you have sunk into this guy is. And I guess if if anything from that, it would be very, very encouraging to see Kevin Adams and the front office be okay to move on from him. Even though, yes, you just gave up a second and maybe it wouldn't look the best. We're in the window now. You got to do what's best for this team. And if you got to make a tough decision, you got to make a tough decision here. If you move on from him in the form of a, of a trade or something like that, you're obviously not going to get a, an equivalent to a second back. But if you can in- include him in a larger package deal or something like that, I think that that absolutely should be on the table. And I think of the variety of moves that they can make when it comes to this bottom six, them having the balls to move on from Greenway, I think would maybe be the most encouraging thing that they can do. Not because I think that Greenway is going to be some crater of a player, even though he hasn't really been the most inspiring, but just showing that it's like, okay, yeah, we tried it for a little bit. This didn't work. We're not going to try and force something. We have better options available here. And our job is to ice the best team we possibly can. And Jordan Greenway does not help them be the best team that they possibly can when he's on the ice, given compare, like given what the other options are. So That'll be really interesting to see. I mean, do you think that there's any chance that that actually happens? Do they get rid of Greenway? Yeah, I don't necessarily think that they will, but like, do you think there's no. any chance? Not really. Not if it's a dump. Not necessarily think. a dump, but like if you can include him in like a larger deal. That is a possibility for sure. Yeah. I, I just don't see them being like, ah, fuck, we got too many guys. We got to get rid of this guy. We don't want to. Right. That's that what I mean. Like, yeah, they have a to be a bigger to deal. Do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it would have to be that have to would have to be a secondary concern. I think. I think in general they do want to give him time with Granado. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what really a big, uh, what kind of shape a bigger deal could take. But yeah, I could see that. I also I think another thing we should say with all this discussion is that like, man, it really feels like Gergensen's is gone. Then, huh? Hundred percent. I yeah. would be shocked if they bring him back. That's unfortunate, but it's yeah, it's for the best for you too, Gus. Yeah, I. I mean, let's be real. Like, we don't, both of us are of the opinion that Gergensen is a very, very useful defensive player. He has been consistent for them and has been a solid fourth line shutdown type of guy for them. But he's been here for a while. What is the the difference between what you'd be getting out of Gergensen's and what you could be getting out of, again, out of a guy that, like, I, I don't know. I guess what I'm getting at is, like, how different would a fourth line of Jost, Opozo, and we'll call it Greenway be as compared to Jost, Opozo, and Gergensen's? Like, is the drop-off going to be that significant when you also take into consideration if you are going that route, you're going to have even further reduced roles when it comes to Jost and Opozo and Greenway too as compared to Gergensen's? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I haven't really considered it that way, but like you also, yeah, I mean, from Greenway's perspective, if you don't want, you're not looking, if it's last year's Greenway, like the way he played for the Sabres, then that's a drop off for sure. Well, yeah, there, there is this theoretical Greenway. The reason they traded for him is because they think he can be better. They think they can make him a better player and Granado believes in him. So if there's, there's that, then maybe that's, that's something I think with Gergensen's he's replaceable, but maybe not skill set wise, maybe just value wise. Because, man, he really was a menace in his own zone. He was good on the penalty kill, all this stuff. Although the special teams, I don't know about all that anyway. <laughs> that might be a coaching issue uh, yeah. that, that hopefully they're looking at this offseason. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, it's it's not something that I don't I, – I think that it's a killer or anything. But I, I just feel it more than anything it's unfortunate because he was here for 10 years and didn't make the playoffs – or a shit, 11 years. He got, if you count his first year as juniors, he got drafted 11 years ago. 
And it, it just would have been nice for him to have a chance, just one chance for all his hard work. He's the yeah. guy that showed up, you know? I don't disagree with that. I agree. And I think that at least we'll still get that to some degree with Opozo. But what I will say too, and I think that in a way that that almost, and maybe this is just me doing it in my head, but I feel like that directly ties into Greenway's role because if you are retaining Gergensen's, that is pretty much meaning that they're going to try and make this Greenway third line winger thing happen. And I just, I don't know if he's that guy and I don't want to go into next season presuming that that's going to be the plan or that that's what they want to do to try and make something work when that's like a pretty big question mark. You know, obviously then you have the flexibility, like as we're saying, Savoy with the WHL, but then there's Kulik and there's Rosen, um, Lucas Rusak, obviously, you know, there's, there's guys there that can come in and fill that void. But I think Gergensen's walking in a way, maybe a little bit correlates to Greenway settling into that fourth line role as compared to using him in a top nine role. Would you agree? Or do you think that's too much of a stretch? I, I could see that. I think these things are kind of fluid right now. Yeah. Just because there's so many guys and there's so many ways this could go. Happy early I, June. <laughs> yeah. I just, I really think even like when we, we'd be saying the same thing in October though, because like, like what if Jack Quinn has a cousin's leg jump? Like that's one big thing that could happen in the top six. What about the six? What if Peyton Krebs plays well enough that you're like, well, oh, he's got to be in a strong second or third line role. What if Greenway actually does make that jump? I just think there's a lot of these variables right now that'll make it hard to, 100%. especially because there's only one real, I would say one real line last year that you have to consider bringing back together and it's a top line. And even then you might consider spreading those guys out a little bit. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that a bit during the year last year. It is an interesting thing to think about just how you can kind of divvy up those skill sets a bit. I mean, we know how well they work when it's the three of them together and they have great chemistry. I think that neither of us are saying, you know, have one of the one of them on each of the three uh, top three lines or anything like that, because I think we've seen in so many spurts the chemistry that Tage and Tuck have that Tuck and Skinner have that Tage and Skinner has, you know, like they, it's just a very natural chemistry with all of them. But I think particularly in the case of Tuck, you just have a skill set there that is so valuable for pretty much any kind of role within a forward group. And we know what Tage is going to be. We know what Skinner is, you know, we know these guys, being able to have the flexibility then to say, all right, let's put in somebody else to ride shotgun up top on that top line. And then that way we can use tuck with cousins on the second line, for example, or something like that, you know, that could be really interesting. But again, in the, in the spirit of things being fluid, I think also what if we we were talking about Paterka having another jump too, and, and Quinn, and then it's like, all right, well, why would we mess with the top, the top six when the top line is so rock solid we know what Cousins already is. And now Quinn and Paterka are popping off or Krebs is popping off. And so like, you don't really have to move Tuck off of that top line then, assuming that that second line kind of comes into, into view a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, yeah, at that point though, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause like, if you're looking at like next year, like guys, you want to maybe rotate into the top six, you'd also probably think of cool Uh You might think of Rosen if he is up next year. Who knows what Krebs looks like next year? So maybe top six more looks looks more like a top nine, and then you just and there's always injuries, obviously. So there's that always there's always people that have to fill in, but a top nine and then a fourth line, and then you obviously have your you know it's not just a bottom three forwards because you always have basically always have two guys sitting in the press box, your best guy in Rochester, so on. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Absolutely, yeah. No, I'm I'm excited for it. It's it's very nice to be in this place as a Sabres fan where we have the the trouble of air quotes trouble of having so many capable guys who could kind of step into this top nine role. And I mean, shit, we're talking about this now ahead of 23-24 in a year where like playoffs are the baseline, playoffs are the expectation. What about a year from now when you have Ostlin is going to be on his way over and obviously he'll be in Rochester, but Savoy will seemingly be ready to make the jump. You're probably going to have to know what's going to be happening with Rosine and Kulik, just given how well they played this year. And then assuming that there's a continuation of that next year, those guys will be ready. You're going to be drafting somebody at 13th overall. We'll get to that in a minute. Maybe you'll be drafting a little bit earlier, potentially who knows, given some of the reports that also came up, came from Lance today. So 
it's a lot of good problems to have. And then also on top of that too, I mean, you have Poltapov coming over. You have a lot of these more like unsung guys. So much depth. There's so much much flexibility in this forward group in terms of obviously there's a lot of surefire things for guys who can be in the top nine in the long haul. Like obviously Skinner's not going to be here forever, but Cage, Tuck, Quinn, Cousins, Paterka, five guys right there that you know you have at least and I say at least because Tuck is the elder statesman at like 26 or 27 or whatever he is in the group. But you have at least like four plus years of these guys being firmly in their primes. Five guys right there. That's not even including then Krebs, Savoy, Kulik, Rosine, Middlestad even potentially too. If he continues to ascend like this, whoever they end up picking in the first round this year, if they do end up going with a forward, which we'll again get to that in a minute. So they're just in a really good spot right now. But again, we were talking about this really throughout the season and really coming out of last offseason and entering into this past season that not all of these guys are going to be able to be Sabres. And so if we are at this point now that this team is in their window and let's get crazy here. Let's say that they go out and they do get Connor Hallibuck. Let's say they somehow swing a, a out of left field trade for like UC Soros or something like that. We had talked about at the trade deadline that teams who make big swings at the deadline are the ones that are in striking distance of winning a cup or winning a couple of rounds. For me, if you're talking about a team that was last year in the top 10 in scoring and was the youngest team in the NHL, and you go out and you get a legitimate difference maker in net, that puts the Sabres in that conversation in my mind where it's like, okay, we don't need Noah Oslin. We don't need to wait two years for Noah Oslin to get here. If we can use him as a first-round equivalent piece in our 2024 first-round pick and throw in another guy or two, the time for the big game hunting is like now. So a lot of this, again, is going to come down to, you know, what happens this offseason in net. But if it's not this off season, we're then seemingly only going to be a couple years away from Devin Levi being ready. So like the time to make one of these moves, like you're not in a rush by any means, but the time to start to kind of package some of these picks and these prospects and young valuable pieces up. It's, it's a lot closer. I think than a lot of people are really leaning on or leading on right now. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. If the deals, if the deals there tomorrow, take it the right deal, obviously, particularly for a, a second defenseman. In my opinion, hundred percent, which we can, I guess, talk. Well, let's, we'll, we'll talk about that because one of our, our dreams has died in the form of David, Damon Severson getting a ridiculous sign and trade contract from Columbus, eight years, 6.75 million. I would have been fine giving that to him for like three or four years, but I would have wanted no part of an eight year deal. If that's really what it came down to from what I would read to the reports had said that Columbus just wanted to get it done and they did whatever they needed to do to get him get across the finish line with that. I mean, that is just a pure act of desperation that just felt so unnecessary. Like when we talk about like the Sabres getting a little desperate, it's not like that. And the Sabres are in a much better place in, uh, than Columbus is. But either way, Damon Severson is now off the board as he heads to Columbus. So we still have a lot of options available for who they can go after. I think a name that we had talked about earlier in the year that's been getting bounced around more and more in terms of trade talks that I think is a very intriguing option is Noah Hannafin from Calgary. I know a few people have mentioned him and he's been on pretty much like every offseason trade board so far. I think that's really there's a few defensemen from Calgary, I think, that are intriguing. But I think of all of them, Hannafin is the one that maybe piques my interest the most. But I mean, how do you feel about that trade, Taylor? I think that it was a a pretty wild move on Columbus's part. And obviously it's very sad that the Sabres are now going to be unable to, you know, pick up a guy like Severson who could have been a really nice piece for them next to Owen Power, but not so much for that cost. Yeah, Severson, it's just, it's not even the cost, right? The AAV is not even bad. It's the years. Eight years. For a 31-year-old. I think he's 29. Oh, is he 29? Okay. Well, I mean, still at that point, that's kind of crazy. The thing is, even though we don't like to think about things this way, there are so few guys in the NHL that are like good, like very good after the age of 33. It's just, it's kind of rare. And not everyone's like that. And there's, there's varying degrees of that. But if you're looking for a guy that's going to be a second pairing defenseman has been for most of it or equivalent for most of his career, it's, 
it's not likely he's going to be good when he's like 37. Right. It's just, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's turning 29. So yeah, take him through his age 37 season. It's tough. And it's pretty clear that Columbus is in desperation mode. But really, is it is it Columbus in desperation mode or is it Yarmo Kekalainen in a desperation mode? I think it's made, the latter. Yeah, right. This is this has been a thing that's been established for a while that GMs, when their backs are against the wall, they make these short-term moves that'll harm the team long-term because they know that if it doesn't work out, they'll be gone anyway. So there's no real – there's no big deal. They're about to get fired anyway if things don't work out. So he has, takes two swings now because they just got Prover off for quite the cost. Uh, and they now they have Severson too. So that on one hand, I think it's smart because you have Goudreau and you have this young core, and things obviously you flopped so hard last year. Uh, you can't they have just... some good pieces for sure. Like I didn't want to be Absolutely. like, oh god, this fucking hellhole there. Like they have some really nice pieces in Calgary that the or Calgary Jesus in Columbus that they're building around. Yeah, and it's also like they can't. You can't just be like, okay, we're going to marginally improve. They were so bad last year. They had a goal differential that was worse than negative one hundred. So. You do have to make big swings, but the big swings, I'm like, Provorov was not good last year on a not good team. This is, you're just lying to yourself thinking like this defenseman that played big minutes or a bad team, he's actually going to be fine once he plays smaller minutes. But it's also like you gave up that much money if you're not going to play him that many minutes. Weird. Severson's good, but that's just, I don't know. That's a lot. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a lot of years. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is with them is that they're going to have Babcock as coach. Like this is a, this is a real like we got to make something work right now, kind of a deal. Uh, so that's that's kind of a mess. But yeah, it's unfortunate one of the Sabers targets is gone. There's other ones out there still. So see, hopeful that they don't all uh, either get signed and traded or uh, sign with their teams before free agency starts in three weeks. Less than three weeks now, actually. Yeah. Three weeks from. Saturday? I think it was Saturday. Yep. And yep, so. we can also say then as a segue too, we are also just a few weeks away from the draft. And Lance also in his reporting on the Sabres looking to move Victor Olofsson had shared a little bit of news that Kevin Adams is pretty aggressively calling around the league to see what the cost is to move up. And also he's gauging what he would be able to get in return should he move down if there's a team that's feeling aggressive about moving up to that 13th spot. So this, I think, leads directly into what we were talking about. I think it was last episode with regard to Mishkov that I think if you see him slide past Arizona at six, that teams are going to start probably aggressively trying, maybe even out of the top five, you can say, that teams will aggressively start to make calls to try and move up. And I think Arizona is very intriguing because they have two picks in the top 12. They have six and 12 there. So they're in a unique position where they're they can say, you know, should Mishkov fall? Well, we could take him at six and we're and we'll have to wait a few years, but we still know that we're gonna get a really good guy at number 12, too. Again, though, it's just like we say every year, it feels like there's mock drafts every year. You and I, I mean, I know you follow the prospects a little bit more as it as it comes along, but every single season, every single draft. There is one or two picks, one or two guys that sneak into the top 10 that you really don't expect are going to be there. And it totally changes the landscape of the draft. Like it happened last year with Chicago taking Kevin Korshinsky. And then that pretty much led to us being able to get Matt Savoy at nine. So it's like most cider getting taken. So the Sabres could get Dylan cousins. Exactly. It happens every single year. There's, there's one or two guys that it's a surprise move and somebody ends up taking them. What people think is like a little too early I guess I should say like what conventional wisdom or the majority of people think is a little bit too early. Obviously in the case of cider, good on you, Detroit, like great pick there. But I think that this is a, a very interesting report here. I mean, it's like we kind of talked about these past couple of drafts, the Sabres have invested in bringing Russians over and with a guy like Mishkov that you're going to have him under contract in the K for the next couple of years before he's able to make the move over to North America you'd want him to feel a little bit insulated in coming over that he's going to have some of his fellow countrymen here and moving across the world to a completely new place by yourself where, again, there's language barriers, there's cultural barriers and stuff like that that you're going to have to get used to. And so with the Sabres picking up some of these guys in the draft, 
I think that it could be extremely helpful for them. And I think also it'll maybe make the Sabres seem like a little bit more of an attractive landing spot because a lot of these guys are coming up together through these junior programs in Russia and these youth programs in Russia, and they know each other. So it's very, very exciting. I mean, I don't know how far I want to say or how far I'll go as to say like what the likelihood will be of them being able to do that or if that'll even be possible. But I think it's definitely in play. I think that Lance sharing that report is very encouraging to that. And I think that if there is ever a time where you're going to have to give up some capital to go and get a guy to move up, say, six, seven spots in the first round and knowing that it's going to cost you a little bit, somebody with a talent level of Mishkov is absolutely worth it because he's going to be able to step in as a 21-year-old a little bit more developed and, and ready to go into an ELC. And by that point, seemingly, as we've been saying, the Sabres are going to be well on their way to being a, a cup contender, hopefully three years from now. I mean, you would think with the trajectory. So very, very encouraging stuff here. I, I think that, and this is totally just based on a hunch, but you have the two second round picks in your own and you have Phillies. I would be, if I were to bet on it, I would bet that it is way more likely that the Sabres try and put together a package to move up from the Philly pick into the end of the first round or late first round than they are to trade back from 13. Just again, given how rock solid this draft is. You stay at 13, you get your pick of the crop, obviously taking out of the equation if they were the, the prospect of moving up to go get a guy. But like at 13, you're going to have the option of uh, several options of very, very good players here. So I have a hard time thinking that they would move back off of that, assuming like the board falling a, a completely crazy way. I think it's far more likely, though, that you try and get them to or they try and move up into the end of the first round than they do move back from 13. Yeah, honestly, I don't remember the last time there was any talk of the Sabres moving into the draft. Say that one more time. I don't remember the last time there was like this, like, you know, real pre-draft speculation. Like actual of, report about it. Yeah, the Sabres moving because – they haven't done much moving. I mean, they moved slightly for Gergensen's. That was quite a while ago. Is there anyone more recent than that? Am I forgetting one? No, I mean, they wouldn't have had to last year because they just said they stayed put with the three picks. They were talking about it last year as we ended up finding out they wanted to move up in the first round to be able to get Kulik after they drafted Ostland. And obviously I, it worked out that they fell or that he fell to them. But yeah, no, not that I can really remember. Wow. They also were trying to maneuver a trade for the seventh pick, I believe last year, which I don't know how different that would have been. With That's the, actually the, a good point too, with the Matt Murray stuff, right? Yeah. Matt Murray in the seventh for the, that would have been interesting. That would have been uh, but, awesome if they could have swung that. I still am like, <laughs> oh my God, what could have been? Yeah, Matt Murray probably would have been better than Comrie. Probably would have been better than Comrie, to be honest. He wasn't great. He didn't Would have been a ball, better situation but... for him here, too. Yeah. Well, that's Crazy stuff. Anyway, do you want to hear a quick word from our sponsors? I'd love nothing more. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Kansas, call one 800 522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at DraftKings. Sorry, sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. And folks, our second sponsor is... Thin Man Brewery. So, a few things going on at Thin Man. One I really wanted to mention again, probably for the last time, well, last or second last time, Summer Solstice Party coming up Saturday. Brendan's band will be playing. It's 12 to 8. Um, Canadis will be playing that entire time. Yeah, we're playing a nice little eight hour set. No, we're playing at three o'clock, so make sure you get down there early. It's going to be fun. Three to time. four? 
Three to four. Yeah, we're playing at three to four. Our pal DJ Cam Frank is going to be playing. He's opening up the festivities at noon with a DJ set. A couple other bands playing, and then we'll be up at three. A lot of really great local talent at this one, though. You are not going to want to miss this. Also, it's going to be awesome. They're closing the street down on Elmwood, and we get to party and drink outside. Like, what are we doing here, folks? Get those tickets. This is a, I've said it before, but this is a block party right in front of Thin Man on Elmwood. It's a celebration of their seventh birthday as a brewery as well. So it's called Summer Solstice. They have a beer coming. They actually, one new thing I can say is they have merchandise available, shirt sales. Uh, so you can you can get them. There's a tie-dye option. There's just a regular option. has their cool uh, can design type thing on there. It's for the, the can design for the beer, but it's also the logo uh, is on the shirts. So check that out. There's going to be a bunch of beer available, food. Like Brendan said, there's going to be a lot of bands, big party, and there's VIP tickets available. So get those, and you know the deal if you get those. You know the deal. Boom. So yeah, check it out Saturday. Should be a good time. I'll be there if you're interested. Uh, I won't be performing music, but I might be performing in some other way. And uh, there's only one way to find out what that'll be, and that's to show up. But also, I wanted to mention uh, right after that, next Wednesday, June 21st, the first official day of summer, Go Skate Jam. So it's a collaboration. It's at Thin Man Brewery on Chandler Street and Mom Skate Shop. They present the Go Skateboarding Day. It's on the loading dock at the Chandler Street location. It's also sponsored by Deep Eddie Vodka, if you're into that. It's it's a good summer drink, honestly. Starts at 4 p.m. Uh, it's National Go Skateboarding Day. So they're going to have their own skate jam. Uh, tiki Bar popped up by The Veiled Pearl. Uh, Sign-up waivers will be available at both Thin Man's, Elmwood and Chandler, and at Mom's Skate Shop. That's uh, Those are both available now. Uh, you must be 18 years or older to sign up. Uh, valid ID required. Ticket purchases for those that are 21 and over will include access to the event grounds and your first drink. It's a family-friendly event, so you can also uh, bring people under the age of 21, and they are free. They can come in for free. So tickets are available at Eventbrite, uh, eventbrite.com, and you can find uh, the link also in Thin Man's uh, Instagram bio if you're looking for that. And uh, just another reminder, well, more as it gets closer, but the Weirdly wonderful beer festival will be Saturday, July 22nd. So remember that they just released their sixth round of uh, uh, breweries who are going to be in the lineup. So there's been, I believe, over 50 breweries they've mentioned so far. And uh, that's, folks, that's a lot. That's a lot of beer. So that's going to be interesting. But you know, like I said, more on that as we get closer to that. Brendan, is there anything else you want to mention about? Uh, well, you left man? you left out a key detail. You said you weren't performing, but that's actually not true. I said I'm not performing music. Oh, uh, okay. I told the people that I will be performing in some other way potentially, but the only way to find out is to come see. Well, I was gonna say we will be playing the theme song to Straight Up Sabers Balancing Act by my band Canadis at the show so you can hear the show live you can hear the song live at summer solstice but instead of me singing over it it's just going to be taylor spouting off as many sabers takes as he can in like three and a half minutes yeah so it's gonna be a really great time yeah i think so also i think uh what i should do at your shows from now on is when that plays like at the point where it normally would fade out and we would start i should just start talking even if What's I'm not up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Saber. Yeah, see if anyone notices or anything like that. Uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll do that at the uh, conclusion then of the song. <laughs> After the last note hits, I'll just start going to the mic, and you can just come up on stage really quick. It'll be perfect. Oh yeah. man! All right, Taylor. Well, we're putting this episode out on Tuesday. A little bit of a change up from our usually scheduled Monday episodes, but tonight. I can't believe I'm saying this. There's a pretty good chance that Jack Eichel will be lifting the Stanley Cup as the Vegas Golden Knights are up three to one over the Florida Panthers. I don't even know what else to say, Taylor. What are your thoughts? Well, a few things. I was, uh, it's been an interesting series uh, watching uh, game four on uh, Saturday night. I was thinking about uh, an article I read, uh, I believe it was Dom Lucasian in The Athletic that wrote it. Uh, about the luck Vegas has had in the playoffs. And it kind of struck me because I was I was thinking 
what does this mean? Are they really lucky? I guess you wouldn't really look at their run and see luck. I, they just, they have a really deep lineup. They're just good at getting, they get guys in. Let me see this like an efficient way. You know what I mean? Like they get guys in, whether it's via trade or free agency or draft for less than they should have to pay to acquire via assets or money. And they've done a really good job with that. Now, the case, that's not really the case with Eichel, in my opinion. Uh, and it's not really the case with P- Pietrangelo either, but it's the case with a lot of their roster. And they've, they've been good at finding diamonds in the rough, as evidenced by the by the the expansion draft way back six years ago. But even since then, like the Mark Stone trade is robbery. It's insane. Um, but I, I look at this, and I guess now I do kind of see the luck thing a little bit. It's different than the kind of luck, let's say, the Canadians of a couple of years ago had, or even like maybe even Dallas a couple of years before that, or whatever that was, 2020, where the, you know, the, the classic team, there is different forms of luck. So what Dom mentioned, and this is a, an interesting thing, is PDO. I, I don't think we, we don't talk about PDO as much anymore, Brendan. Like PDO used to be a big thing when there are only four advanced stats in hockey. <laughs> PDO, for those that don't know, is like, it really does harken back to the day when advanced stats weren't that advanced. It's just even strength, save percentage, plus even strength, uh, shooting percentage for your team. So in the grand scheme of things for like, say the whole league, that will add up to a hundred because it's just every shot taken hundred uh, percent. But for certain teams, it'll be higher than others. So some teams you might say, well, this team has a good goalie They'll, they'll naturally have a higher, even strength, save percentage true. Or this team has talented players like Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner and Alex Tuck and Dylan Cousins and Rasmus Dahlin. So they're going to shoot higher than normal. Also true. Sometimes they might even be on the same team if you're lucky, like you're, if you're Tampa Bay and your natural PDO should be a little bit higher than 100, maybe in the 101 to 102 range. But there's outliers you'll see from time to time. 93, so 103, I should say, 103, 104, in, at, halfway through the regular season. You could easily point to that and say they're going to regress. And on the other side, you see someone uh, that's at like 95 or 96, and you're going to say they're going to regress in a positive way. In the playoffs, <laughs> It's inherently a small sample size. Even still, since this has been measured, so Dom looked back at everything since 07-08, so the past 16 postseasons. Vegas has the highest PDO by far. It's 106.9, or it was before Saturday's game. Through their first 19 playoff games, 106.9. And might I remind you, if you want to use the good goaltending angle, their goalie is Aiden Hill. (laughs) Like... (laughs) This is absurd, and there's a few explanations for it, but I think to talk about how rare that is, because there's there's other, like people are kind of put off that there was a Sabres team on that list, the 2010 Sabres against the Bruins. If you want to talk about that, we can. It's a little bit different. Nobody's really close to Vegas, and in fact, they're of every 19-game stretch since 07-08. So every 19-game stretch every team has played in the regular season and playoffs. So for example, of how many that is, a 19-game stretch is your first 19 games of the season. 2 through 20, 3 through 21, 4 through 22. It's every one of those plus the playoffs. Since 07 08, only five occasions has a team had a better PDO for this long as Vegas. And they did it in 19 playoff games. It's a 19 game stretch in the playoffs. It This kind of luck in the playoffs is absurd. And it, in, here's the thing I, I, I can hear people kind of like rolling their eyes or whatever at this, like, uh, you make your own luck kind of thing or whatever. But with Vegas, I really think if you're watching the games, it comes down to something very simple. Two things. One, Aiden Hill has been way better than anyone could expect. And two, Vegas has been lucky at their shots going in early in the game so they can take a one or two goal lead and then shut things down. And that's not happening because they're such a overwhelming offensive force. And I think I'm being fair here. They're getting a little bit of luck with that, a little bit, even if well, they're playing well. And we gotta we gotta acknowledge to our buddy Kevin, uh, NT Rider eight two five, sharing what the liberal media doesn't want you to hear. <laughs> that Eichel has a thirty nine percent expected goal share at five on five in the Cup Finals. Yeah, like what's happening is Florida is taking it to him after they take a lead, and that's that's been happening. That happened under Dallas. It ha- I mean, Vegas or er, uh, Eichel played much better against Dallas in, in previous rounds than he has in the final, but. It's a good point. It's another good point that I was going to get to. Uh, but just quickly, what I'm saying with the luck thing is they won in five at Winnipeg. They won in five or six against Edmonton. I don't remember. And then six in Dallas. And they're going to win the cup probably in five or six, if I had to guess. So really what I'm saying with the luck thing is 
I'm not saying they 100% would have lost if they had normal luck or just a little bit above average luck like your average Stanley Cup team. I'm just saying they might have, you know, had to play a seventh game, got pushed back against the wall, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Also, they, I mean, they've won a couple overtime games. No big deal. They've had a really good overtime record. They did lose an overtime game on Thursday, though, so I shouldn't complain too much. So but would anyway, you say then, Taylor, that the moral of the story and that whole spiel you just gave is that there is no God? <laughs> yeah. Why did another team like four years ago get really lucky and and make the? Because this is actually, if you count Reinhardt, that's all three of those guys, Eichel, Reinhardt, and O'Reilly, got insanely lucky to make the finals. I shouldn't say St. Louis was insanely lucky, but they won two game sevens to get to the finals, and then they won a game seven in the finals. So, so uh, again, I ask: Is there no God? You know, I guess we'll find out next year. <laughs> that's true. We, we won't have I'm to worry about asking judgment. ourselves that because we'll be too busy celebrating a Stanley Cup parade through the streets of Delaware, Delaware Ave and Elmwood. Oh, yeah. Washington Street, theoretically, too. Well, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that, I really looking at that. I, I do think they've gotten a lot of good fortune, even if they are a great team. And I think also looking at like this playoffs, I don't really look at it like. Like, oh, my God, how do we get rid of Eichel? Because I someone like brought up like. Oh, they should have let Eichel get that next surge no, or whatever. No. Which, like, a couple of things that it doesn't make as much sense as you think it makes, um, as an idea. But also, it doesn't matter because they didn't get killed on the trade. They got tucked. They yeah. got Krebs. They got a pick. Like, they got uh, another pick. They turned into Greenway. TBD on that one. The, also, TBD the, on Otslin. The but... Knights got the piece that they needed with where they were at in the roadmap of their franchise, and the Sabers got the pieces that we needed with the spot that we were at in terms of the roadmap of our franchise. Like both teams came away with the two things that they needed for the two very different places that they were in when the deal happened. Absolutely. It's fine. It's and fun. also so I I think it's we're obviously all okay. like I'm, I'm joking about all of it. Like we're not actually yeah. seriously like bummed about this. I mean yeah it sucks and like who doesn't know who Charles Barkley is? Come on Jack. But yeah it's I digress. On that. Yeah. Yeah, so I also I think this playoffs is kind of showing off like the kind of player Eichel is, which wasn't talked about as much when he was in Buffalo. What made him like good is he was like a two hundred foot guy. Like he's a great passer. I mean, he's been a better goal scorer than he's been in this playoffs. I don't really know what's going on with that. He's in a huge slump in that regard, but he's always been a really good passer. And he's he's since basically his age twenty one or twenty two season, he's been really good in his own zone. So that's what people are seeing right now. And I've been mm-hmm. kind of annoyed seeing some advanced stats guys being like, wow, can't believe he's finally dominating the 200 foot game. You're like, wow, look at this out of Buffalo. Like, no, he was that goddamn good his last full season in Buffalo. He was doing that with like even... a broken neck. <laughs> yeah. Well, before that, before that, all that stuff. That... I'm, I'm saying that in addition, though. Like, yeah, he's been that guy. Yeah. In the 2019 20 season, he was eighth in MVP voting. And he's playing with Reinhardt a good amount, but he was also carrying like Olsen. Like, he was good. I remember it. I, made arguments that he was as good as anyone at that point. Cause McDavid had kind of a down, not down, but weird year that year. Uh, I remember making those arguments cause, and I meant him at the time. I didn't know. Cause now it seems like a couple of years later, he, his goal scoring peak isn't as high as I thought it was. And that's really true. But yeah, no, the, the idea that he wasn't good in Buffalo is bullshit. Like he was always not always, but he became very good and he just kind of, you know, personality is one thing. He didn't want to be here. He didn't seem like actually a great captain in any way. Like he's not really captain material. And then, then there's other stuff that I don't want to get into, but I don't, I don't care for the fellow that much, but like, that wasn't because he Retweet. was bad in his own zone or like, cause he couldn't pass. Like the guy could do all those things. On the other hand, I'm just going to say it cause it's going to happen anyway. I can't believe a forward might win the con Smythe with six goals. That would be kind of ridiculous if that does happen. Just because I'm looking right now, he is tied for 15th in goals. And I don't know if you guys know this, but he's played a few more games than some of these other guys. I, I'm just going to like lay it out right now because Aiden Hill would be my choice, except that he didn't start to play until the middle of the second round. I can't really do that. So I think the logical MVP choice or logical Conn Smythe choice is Jonathan Marchessault. 100%. As insane as that sounds. <laughs> no, I was going to say, when you brought that up about Eichel, I was like, dude, I don't. I think he's third right now. He should be, but is he really going to be third? I mean, why did Ovechkin win the Conn Smythe a couple of years ago? Why did Crosby win it in 2016? I don't know. I mean, I think this is just, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's Marsha Show or Hill. I, I really, it would be like, 
I don't want to say it would be shocking because it's like the NHL. I get it. They want to give it to like the star player or whatever, but it would be pretty shocking getting the performances of those other guys. And the fact that Marshall show has had some very, very clutch plays for Vegas, some very, very clutch goals. It, it would be shocking. And the fact that Aiden Hill just like took the job in the playoffs and ran with it after all of the uncertainty that the net in Vegas has had throughout this season. I mean, it would be nuts. Now, can I throw you a couple crazy stats? Go. One, it took until Saturday night for it's either Thursday or Saturday for people to tie for the playoff points lead with Ru Pence at 24. Ru Pence is still That's tied. My dog. That's my dog. Point lead. Put some uh, respect on his name, Taylor. <laughs> and despite only playing 12 playoff games, Dreisaitl still tied for the goals lead with Jonathan March or so. Absurd. Right? right? Absolutely it's, insane. Yeah. And also wild. March or so didn't score for the first uh, eight playoff games. Mm-hmm. Didn't score until the middle of the second round. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know what? That's uh, the March or so thing. I, I'll, I'm, if any beat writers who vote on this are listening, they're not. If you're listening before Tuesday night, March or so is a good story. He's playing the team that gave up on him, gave him a big deal, and then gave up on him. Florida gave up on him. Yep. And look at him now. He I also mean, has been involved, I feel like, in trade rumors for the last few years, too. Yep, absolutely. He's the guy they've been looking to dump cap-wise. Not because he's bad, but just because they need they needed to get rid of someone. Also worth mentioning, I haven't I've barely heard this mention this cup. Vegas would not be Vegas without Florida. Florida's mm-hmm. stupidity in 2017. Yep. And gifting them Riley Smith and Jonathan March or so. They totally. they would not, they never would have been what they are now. Uh so but that's just, I don't know. There's, there's just some angles to hit, I guess. 100%. Also, want to hear a silver lining? Give it to me. Third ring for Phil Kessel. Wow. Who Phil hasn't played thrill, since baby. the Winnipeg the series. But... He won the yeah. second one with Arizona, right? Yeah, 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 of yeah. course. Yeah. All right. All right. Any last thoughts before we sign off, Taylor? Um. Hmm. I did have something, but I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. Do you have any recommendations for the people? I recommend recommend people buy their tickets to summer solstice. That's my recommendation too. I was serious about being there and uh, I'll perform something in some way. Maybe say less. I'm in. And folks, if you're listening, I I promise we're going to make this happen. I will, I will make sure of it. We will harass Taylor until he does some sort of performance, whether on stage or on the streets of Elmwood, it'll be beautiful. That's fair. All right. Well, everybody, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Savers presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And also make sure if you are listening to us, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it may be, make sure you're subscribed to Straight Up Savers and or following us. Social media. You can find the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, of course, Straight Up Savers at Straight Savers on twitter and last but not least we love our sponsors we have DraftKings and that promo code thpn at checkout to take advantage of great deals and thin man brewery we love thin man folks summer solstice coming up this week tons of other great events beer drops all the things are happening coming up right now this summer for thin man so make sure you're checking them out online following them and make sure you're stopping in too we'll be back with a brand new episode on thursday everybody thanks so much for tuning in this has been straight up savers thin man.